Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the fame and fear of David as we pick up in 1 Chronicles chapter 14, verse 9. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Now, the Philistines came up again, and rather than just, you know, all right, let's go again, fellas, at it once more, he waited and inquired of God again. And he said, shall we go up? And the Lord said, no, don't go up, but go around behind them and wait. And when you hear the sound of the wind in the top of the mulberry trees, then attack. So David went around behind the Philistines and they waited there. And when the wind began to blow on the top of the mulberry trees, then David and his men attacked and they wiped out the Philistines the second time. And the fame of David and the fear of David spread throughout all the lands. And it was then at this point that David brought back the Ark of the Covenant, doing it after the manner that God had prescribed to uh, Moses, bringing it back the right way. In chapter 16, they brought the Ark of the Covenant and they set it in the midst of the tent, the tabernacle that David had pitched for it. And they offered the burnt sacrifices and the peace offerings before God. And then David ordered a choir and he appointed certain of the Levites to minister before the Ark of the Lord and to record Now, that idea of recording was for remembrances, to record the things that God had done so that the people could remember the glorious works of God. And so part of the Psalms are Psalms of remembrance. Psalm 38 and Psalm 70, you'll read the titles above the Psalm, the Psalm of David, for remembrance. These are what they call the, the recording Psalms or the record Psalms to make a record of what God had done to bring the people into remembrance. And then some of the psalms were those of thanksgiving, giving thanks unto the Lord, and then other psalms of just praise to the Lord God of Israel. Now Asaph was the chief musician appointed by David, and next to him Zechariah and these other fellows. And Asaph made a sound with cymbals. They played, of course, a psaltery, whatever type of instrument that was, and with harps, uh, whatever a harp was in those days. Now, on that day, David delivered first this psalm to thank the Lord into the hand of Asaph and his brethren. So David gave them the lyrics, and these guys started singing and worshiping the Lord with this song or psalm. Give thanks unto the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people. Sing unto him, sing psalms unto him, talk ye of all his wondrous works. Glory ye in his holy name, let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. Seek the Lord in his strength, seek his face continually. Remember his marvelous works that he hath done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. O ye seed of Israel, his servant, ye children of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God, his judgments are in all the earth. Be ye mindful always of his covenant, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations, even of the covenant which he made with Abraham, and of his oath unto Isaac, and hath confirmed the same to Jacob for a law, and to Israel for an everlasting covenant, saying, Unto thee will I give the land of Canaan, the lot of your inheritance." 
and when ye were but few, even a few, and strangers in it, and when ye went from nation to nation and from one kingdom to another people, he did not allow any man to do you wrong. Yea, he reproved the kings for their sake, saying, Touch not mine anointed, and do my prophets no harm. Sing unto the Lord all the earth, show forth from day to day his salvation. Declare his glory among the heathen, his marvelous works among all nations. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He also is to be reverenced above all gods. For all of the gods of the people are idols, but the Lord hath made the heavens. Glory and honor are in his presence, strength and gladness are in his place. Give unto the Lord, ye kindreds of the people, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory that is due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth, and the world also shall be stable that it be not moved. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. And let the men say among the nations, The Lord reigneth. Let the sea roar in the fullness thereof, and let the fields rejoice in all that is therein. And then shall the trees of the wood sing out in the presence of the Lord, because he cometh to judge the earth. O oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. And say ye, Hosanna, O God of our salvation, and gather us together and deliver us from the heathen, that we may give thanks to thy holy name and glory in thy praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel forever and ever. And all of the people said, Amen. And they praised the Lord. So glorious psalm of thanksgiving and praise that David gave, the first that was sung in the establishing of the worship for the children of Israel, as once again they built the tabernacle, brought the Ark of the Covenant, and began to establish the worship of God once more as the heart of the nation. And so David then appointed Asaph and his brethren to minister before the ark continually as every day's work required. And uh, the people departed to every man, and David returned to bless his house, you know, after this glorious time of praise and worship and all. And uh, then David in chapter 17 expresses his desire to build the house of God. And Nathan the prophet said, Good. Do all that is in your heart, for God is with thee. And it came to pass the same night that the Lord spoke to Nathan the prophet and said, Go and tell David my servant, Thus saith the Lord, Thou shalt not build me a house to dwell in. For I have not dwelt in a house since the day that I brought up Israel unto this day, but I have gone from tent to tent and from one tabernacle to another. Wheresoever I have walked with all of Israel, I, did I ever speak a word to the judges of Israel whom I commanded to feed my people, saying, Why have you not built me a house? I would like to say that I think that it is wrong for us to judge. We do not know the true motives of man, and we only assume what motivations might be. However, in the same token, I would like to say that I don't think that God has ever required that we build for him some fancy place to worship him. I believe that God can be better worshipped in nature than in a building. I only wish the weather permitted for us to worship outside. I think that it would be a, a 
much more fitting cathedral to just worship God outside. In the Old Testament, when, they, when God instructed them in the building of the altars, God said, I don't want you to bring any tool on the stone. I don't want you carving fancy stones and all. Just take the plain rock without bringing any tool on it and set it up for the altar because God didn't want people's attention to be distracted from him to some fancy ornamentation that man had built. Now, I don't really feel that God has changed. I don't think that God is wanting to attract people to fancy architecture or to fancy ornamentations. I think the more natural that we can be in our worship of God, the more we are closer to the real heart and intent of God. As natural as possible. And as I say, if the weather would permit, I would rather worship God outside. I love to go up to the conference center and I like to take the classes outside and just sit there in the pine needles, and you get that smell of the pine needles, and you get the sound of the wind through the trees, and you hear the blue jays, and the squirrel is running up the tree and all. And I love to worship God in that kind of a cathedral with a blue sky above and just nothing of man's handiwork, nothing of which you can glory in the work of man. Now, God said, hey, look, ever since I've been with you, I've been in a tent, moving from place to place in a tent. And in all the time, did I ever say, build me a house of cedar? Did I ever ask for anything like that? No, I didn't. I'm content with a tent. We've been praying what we should do here. We, of course, probably we could use, let us put it that way, a much larger facility. It would be nice to be able to have just two services on Sunday morning. As long as the Lord gives me strength, I love the three, I don't mind it, but it would be nice if we could have a larger church where we wouldn't have to put people over in the overflow auditoriums to watch on closer TV. It'd be great if we could all be gathered together in, in one place to worship the Lord. And we have the money that we could do it. And the board has been discussing. We've got the property and we've been discussing building. But we more or less came to the conclusion that since we feel the coming of the Lord is so near, it would be better to take the money and use it in outreaches to get the gospel out to people than to spend it in a building. And so we can go through the inconvenience of having to put people over there. And people, of course, fortunately the weather is nice and some people are fortunate enough to sit outside. We've talked about getting some speakers like we had for the Easter sunrise service and put them out there so people could come and start sitting out there on the lawn. And uh, the overflow could just be out there on the lawn and you just sit out there and worship the Lord. 
But David desired to build a house for God. He said, hey, look, I'm living in this palace, this house of cedar, and God's living in a tent, and, and I want to build a house. And the Nathan said, oh, that's great. Do what's in your heart. And God spoke to Nathan and said, go back to tell David not to build me a house. He can't do it. I've been in a tent all the while. I got used to tents, sort of like it. I've never asked him to build me a house of cedar. Now, knowing that this would be a disappointment to David, the Lord said to him, And thus say unto my servant David. Oh, I like that. Oh, that God would say that, my servant Chuck. Ooh. Wouldn't that be neat? To have God talk of you that way, my servant. What a joy and what a privilege. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheep coat, even from following the sheep, that you should be the ruler over my people Israel. And I have been with thee whithersoever you have walked. I have cut off all your enemies from before thee, I've made thy name like the name of the great men that are in the earth. Also, I will ordain a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them, and they shall dwell in their place, and shall be moved no more, neither shall the children of wickedness waste them any more as at the beginning. And since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, moreover, I will subdue all thine enemies. Furthermore, I tell thee that the Lord will build thee a house." You know, every once in a while, the Lord speaks to me of what he has done for me. And I just am overwhelmed. And quite often when I start, you know, getting in my flesh a bit and think, oh, it'd be so nice to have this, or, you know, oh, that would be great. The Lord speaks to me and say, hey, haven't I done enough for you already? Look what I've done. Aren't you satisfied? You want, I'll do more, but aren't you satisfied? Oh, Lord, so satisfied. So satisfied. God just said, hey, David, look what I've done for you, man. Now, David was wanting to do something for God. God says, no, I don't want you to do anything for me, David. Let me tell you what I've done for you, and let me tell you what I'm going to do for you. You know, so often ministers are constantly telling people, you ought to be doing this for God. You ought to be giving more for God. You ought to be sacrificing more for God. You ought to be praying more for God. You ought to be, you know, witnessing more for God. And they're always emphasizing what you ought to be doing for God. God says, hey, hey, no, no. I want to tell you what I've done for you and what I want to do for you. It's interesting. The New Testament really emphasizes what God has done for man, but we hear so little preaching on that. So much of the preaching is what man ought to be doing for God. And you hear so little of what God has done for you. And yet the whole emphasis of the New Testament is what God has done for you. And so what I do for God is only a responding to what God has done for me. You see, my natural response for what God has done for me is all God is looking for. Hey, he's done so much for me. I just respond to it. 
That's the truest service. That's the truest praise. That's the truest worship that you can offer to God is just the responding to what he has done. Knowing and responding to the work of God is the true motivation behind anything that you ever do for the Lord. You never should be doing out of a endeavor to obligate God to do for you. Now let's get out and really work for God so that God will bless and our church will grow. Let's get out and praise the Lord tonight so God will bless us. You see, work so God will bless it. No, that's the opposite emphasis of the New Testament. The emphasis of the New Testament is what God has done for you. Respond to it. Paul spends the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians telling the people what God had done for them. Thanks be unto God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. According to his abundant mercy, who has chosen us before the foundations of the world and predestined that we should be adopted as sons and has redeemed us by his blood, even forgiven our sins, that we might have this glorious inheritance in Christ Jesus. And then he sealed us with his Holy Spirit of promise all of what God had done for them. And he spends three chapters telling them. Then after telling them all he, God has done, he said, now walk worthy of the calling. Respond to God. Respond to the work of God. Peter emphasizes what God has done. Thanks be unto God. You see, it always begins with, thank God for what he has done. Thanks be unto God, who hath begotten us again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled and fades not away that is reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God. All of that is what God has done for you. You say, well, don't I have some part in there? Yeah, he gets to that. But notice he puts God's part first, never man's part first. Never is it man's part first. It's always God's part first and then man's response to it. So looking at Peter again, thanks be unto God, who hath begotten us again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, phased not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God. That's all God's part. And then he gives you your part through faith. So easy, just believe it. Just believe it. Oh, how glorious it is what God has done. And God begins to unfold for David. Look, David, I took you from the sheep coat, from following after the sheep. I made you the ruler over my people. And I've blessed you. I've given you. Uh, I've subdued your enemies before you. I've established you in the land. And if that's not enough, I'll even do more for you, David. And I'm going to do more because, David, I'm going to establish a house through you. My king is going to come. David, you're going to be. From you, the Messiah is going to come. And as God began to tell David what he was going to do for him, it was too much for David. He said, oh, Lord, what can I say? What can I say? Savonarola said that when prayer reaches its ultimate, words are impossible. What can I say, God? Too much. The realization of what God has done for you. And that's what we need to know. Paul even prayed them for the Ephesians that they might know that God might give them the spirit of wisdom and understanding that they might know God and that they might know what was the hope of their calling and the exceeding richness of God's grace towards them in Christ Jesus and the exceeding 
power that God has made available to us. Knowing what God has done is so important. And in those days, shepherds who will teach them the knowledge of God. And that's what the church needs today. They need to hear more of what God has done for them rather than being pushed into works for God. Told what you ought to be doing for God. That's what you hear all over the place. That's the wrong message. What we need to know is what God has done for us. To know God, His glory, His power, His beauty, His majesty, His goodness. And then we respond to what God has done for us. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of First Chronicles on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order First Chronicles 14-17 through 17 when visiting thewordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's thewordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. Father, we thank you for what you have done for us, your goodness, your blessings. Lord, they're too much. You're too much. But Lord, we love you and we thank you. Oh, how we thank you, Lord, for your beautiful work that you have wrought. How we praise you, Lord, for that power of your Spirit that we see at work around us day by day as you are gathering day by day a mighty host as the host of God. O Lord, help us, help us to understand more fully how much you really do love us. In Jesus' name we pray. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. Gather the kids together because the Word for Today would like to present a kid's book by Pastor Chuck called The Story of the Resurrection of Jesus. Each book contains an audio CD of Pastor Chuck reading this story, featuring the voice talents of Skip Heitzig. But I will come back again on the third day. Greg Laurie. It's Jesus! Hi, Peter! Raul Reese. See, it's really Jesus. Gasp. 
Cheryl Broderson. The stone was rolled away. The tomb is empty. And so many more. It's never too early to start reading to your children timeless biblical stories taught by Pastor Chuck. To order your copy, call the word for today at 800-272-WORD. Or to see a sneak preview, visit us online at thewordfortoday.org where you can order this book in print or as a digital download. Again, the number to call is 800-272-9673.